We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no. There's nothing better. That's why... When it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 157. The Yankees have still not won a series. I don't know what's going on. It's been months. It feels like forever. Scott, it was springtime the last time the Yankees won a series, back on June 10th, 11th. That weekend, that infamous weekend when we were there, have not won a series since then. Yeah, you screw me up when you talk about the springtime in June. If you remember, I've always, I've always thought for my entire life up until like two months ago that June was the summer, the entire month. So the, the fact that they haven't won since springtime is, is ridiculous. They haven't won a series since then. And I don't know, it just feels like, it feels like it'll never happen at this point. I mean, if it's going to happen, it has to be the Twins, right? Because the Twins are just owned by the Yankees forever. They've always been owned by the Yankees. So why is that different now? Right. The Twins are the Yankees punching bag, both in the regular season and the playoffs. I always thought it was, uh, I mean, even when the Twins were good, they'd throw Johan Santana out there. The Yankees would still manage to find ways to win in the playoffs. And then I remember that one series in 2010, after the Yankees had won the World Series, everyone thought this was the Twins season. Finally, they have home field advantage against the Yankees. And they absolutely got steamrolled in that series. So you're right. It's a team they usually handle. So this is, uh, and not to mention we're going back to the West Coast, where it all started, where this whole glorious thing started. And uh, that's just giving me nightmares at this point. First of all, the 10 o'clock start times and just the fact that we'll be, that this team will be on the West Coast and who knows what happens out there because uh, there's nothing good that happens out there. We, we all know that. <laughs> Coming up on this episode, we're going to be talking to Scott Merkin. He is an MLB.com reporter for the White Sox. Obviously, the big news of the week, the Yankees trade with the White Sox. We're going to break down from a White Sox perspective that trade, get some info on those guys with Scott. But before we do that, obviously, we'll give our thoughts on the trade and then get into the Twin Series. 
it consumed last night's ball game. Uh, the the Tuesday night ball game was consumed by the rumors that the Yankees were getting Todd Frazier, David Robertson, Tommy Can- uh, Conley. I'm going to really butcher that until until he's a Yankee for a few years. Tommy Conley. What were your what was your gut reaction when you saw the trade go through? Well, first, it's a shame that that was the game that it overshadowed because that was the only game that was relatively decent <laughs> over the um, over the the weekend. But the fact that they got these guys, I don't know. It feels like a. Uh, it, it feels like first of all, I really thought there was this was a Red Sox deal. Like that's what that, I was convinced that the Red Sox were getting this entire this same package. And I, and that then I was just basically saying, okay, Yankees, if the Red Sox are getting this package, they're building a formidable bullpen now, solidifying other places with veteran guys. I'm like, we just need to relax, sit back, see what happens. But now the fact that the Yankees got this, it's uh, it, it, to me, it changes the narrative for the second half a little bit. Almost like the Yankees are making that, you know, they're, they're, he's putting a cash and put together a good little punch. Um, you know, I think initially I was, uh, I was, I'm not going to say I was upset that Blake Rutherford was part of the deal, um, but I was a little surprised and I was just a little uneasy about it. At the same time, after I digested it for about 10 minutes, I looked down the, uh, the order of the amount of outfield prospects that the Yankees have and how far away Blake Rutherford is. Uh, it, it was, he was most likely not going to make any impact on this team for a long time, if ever. So the fact that they did uh, get rid of him, and there are issues with him right now. I think there's a lot of people that don't have the same perception of uh, Rutherford as they did when he was drafted. So uh, it looks on the on all surface on the surface it looks like a very good deal for the New York Yankees. Plus, we have some guys that are controlled uh, into next year and the year after. So it's not only a, a this year move. I had the same initial reaction you did when I saw Rutherford's name. I was like, "Ah, oh, man, it had to be him." I knew it wasn't going to be Clint Frazier or Glaber Torres. That's ridiculous. I was hoping it wasn't going to be Rutherford either. He was the number three prospect in the Yankee system, number thirty overall in baseball. You're right; he's a long way away. So on, on the one hand, we were not going to see Rutherford for probably until at least 2020 at the earliest. So that's I can't even think about that at this point. But uh, the Yankees essentially got Todd Frazier, a rental for a half a season. David Robertson, who they've already had. Now they're going to bring him back for a season and a half. Kind of smells of what they did with Tyler Clippard last year. I know David Robertson is better than Tyler Clippard, but it's kind of the same thing what they're doing there. And then Tommy Conley, which is, is I think, the, the best part of this trade for the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that looks as if he's coming into his own and, and really becoming a dominant force in the back of a pen. And when you add it to the rest of the guys that are already there, obviously with Chapman and Batances and now Robertson and Conley, I mean, this is a guy that can slide in at, at any point. I mean, we've been talking about getting rid of these roles for the bullpen and having Girardi go out and just pitch to what is coming up at the, you know, at the next half inning and and just put out the fires basically. And now it's almost like you can still have those roles that Girardi wants and have the guys that put out the fire. So it's a, it's a nice thing. It's, it's a better bullpen. Um, when, when you're looking at just the back, the back three, the, uh, the big three that we had last year for a while, um, we know what the, what those guys were and how the seventh, eighth, and ninth worked. But it seems like now there's you know five or six guys that could do a very good job. So it definitely has given Joe a lot more flexibility, and that's a good thing. There's six legit guys in that bullpen. In addition to the two they just traded for, obviously Chapman, Batances, and Warren and Green, who have been phenomenal over yeah. the last couple of weeks. It, it gives Girardi a lot of flexibility. I'm almost confident that Girardi can't even screw this up, and he won't. He can't put them in, in dedicated roles because there's too many guys. What are you going to say? Chad Green is the sixth inning guy. Adam Warren is the seventh inning guy. David Robertson is the eighth inning guy. Chapman's the ninth inning guy. Well, you got Batances too. I mean, there's so many guys that you can plug in. This way, we won't get these guys being fried by the time September rolls around because they can all pitch late in the ballgame. I think the benefit, though, is that he's still – you know Girardi's going to go – at some point, he's going to pick a seven, eight, and nine guy. You know that's going to happen, whether whether it yeah. makes sense or Tiger not. Tiger doesn't change his stripes. Yeah. So the the fact is is that we have. I mean, no, he's not going to go out and say because we may, they may go back and say, oh, you're the fifth inning guy. <laughs> Looking with the way that the starting rotation has gone, there may be a fifth inning guy. But um, you know, aside from the seven, eight, and nine, or really, I still think it's going to be eight, and nine. There's just a lot more flexibility with very, very high quality arms at this point because when you put Conley in this mix, I mean. He was um, he was he was an all star this year. Is that right? 
I think he was an all-star. The If not, he put up all-star numbers. The guy doesn't walk anybody, which is, is something that we are absolutely, you know, very excited to see considering what we have witnessed over the past month with the walks uh, with, uh, with our big guys. I mean, there, there's, there's just been too many guys that are not around the strike zone, and this guy is just living on the plate and on the black. So that's a, that's a huge deal for, uh, to add to this pen. Conley was not an all-star, but he deserved to be one. 60 strikeouts and 36 innings pitched, and that's actually before he pitched today for the Yankees. I believe he struck out two guys in that inning that he pitched. So his numbers are ridiculous. This is the first time he's really had a breakout season, and I'm actually interested to talk to to Scott uh, of MLB.com to see what he says about him because this guy kind of came out of nowhere. Um, what the, what what uh, Cashman I can see is doing though is he's 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 realizing or he realized the market for starting pitching is ridiculous. The cost of prospect that it would take to get a Quintana or Garrett Cole or a Sonny Gray is too high of an asking price. So he went to plan B and that was just get a ton of bullpen guys that can shorten the game that way instead of adding to the rotation depth. Yeah, and I, I still think that they're going to make a rotation move at some point, and it's going to be a smaller move. It's not going to be one of the big guys. I mean, people are still you know, pining for uh, Sonny Gray on Twitter. It's not going to happen. There's just If they were to go for that, they were, they'd be giving up practically the entire farm for a guy like Sonny Gray. I don't want that to happen. To me, now that you've solidified that bullpen, you have, uh, what would we say, six guys that are just pretty much lethal in the back of that bullpen – you can go out and you can you can take a little bit more of a risk on on a guy that is uh, you know not one of the higher tier guys, or you start leaning on more of the minor league guys that haven't been called up yet. Because I think we're all getting very close to to done with uh, the Luis Cessas of the world. But you know, Chance Adams is that guy who's who they keep saying is not ready. But you know, we we know about that. The Yankees say they're not ready one day, and then literally like three hours later, they're ready. So um, he could be that guy coming up. Uh, Justice Sheffield, I think, just got or is is injured or has been injured at some point recently. Uh, but that's another guy that could make an impact later in the season. So there are guys that, you know, and that's something that we've talked about. I still think there are impact guys that will affect the second half of the season within our system. I saw some people saying, oh, Cashman's really going for it. I don't, I don't consider this going for it. It improves the team. Obviously, it improves the team. But I wouldn't consider this going for it. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't giving up anybody that was, you know, a huge prospect that was going to be helping the team in the very near future. People see Rutherford and they see a first-round pick from, what, 2016, and they're like, oh, my God, that, that's the end of the world. But the, the reality is, is that he was playing in Charleston. I mean, he was playing in a low A, uh, you know, going up to Tampa. He's still one, two, three, four spots away from even making it to the major league. So he had a long, long, long way to go. And then we, you know, addition by subtraction with Clippard and, uh, you know, a couple, you throw in a couple more guys and it really wasn't that big of a risk in all honesty. I mean, this is something that's, uh, that is definitely going to help the team with Conley. I think he is such an impact guy at this point. At least this is what I'm doing. I don't really know much about him. We'll learn a lot more with Scott Merkin in the second half of the show, but uh, it seems like he's an impact guy and it's going to be an impact guy for a long time with this team. I, I, yeah, on the one hand, you could say, well, if the Yankees had Robertson and Conley over the last month, maybe they wouldn't have blown all those games. And, yeah. and maybe the Yankees are four, at least four games better, four wins better. I mean, that's still not a lot of wins. That's still a horrible record. But four wins better at this point, hell, they'd be tied for first place. Yeah, and, and again, though, you never know when that stopping of the bleeding can turn into a, a good streak. Uh, when, you're, when you're playing as terribly as the Yankees have, I mean, it... it, it it has to be consuming in the clubhouse. You know, it just, it takes over what you do, I think. And until you turn that corner and actually turn that corner and win a series and, you know, put together a few wins, it's, it's hard to do it. So, um, you know, who's to say that a couple more bullpen guys couldn't have done that a hell of a lot earlier. This deal though, I, I have um, the unfortunate nightmare of looking at it in say three seasons and saying, wait, the Yankees got uh, Todd Frazier, who they rented for half a season, and two bullpen arms for Blake Rutherford. He's now an all-star. How is that possible? At the time, it does make sense. I'm sitting here right now in 2017, and what Cashman did makes sense. But that being said, I think the White Sox made an awesome deal, better than what Cashman made. I mean, I don't know. I think the, the, the White Sox are trying to get as many highly touted guys as possible. And yeah. they're just, that's just, that's the name of the game. So the, the fact that they gave up, I mean, I think giving up Conley is, is a big deal um, because, you know, the, the reality of the White Sox situation is that they're not going to be competing in the next three years. You know, they're probably, 
four, three, I don't know, three to three plus years away from actually trying to compete. Oh, yeah, they're and far away. And, but that's if everybody works out, all these guys that they've gotten. Now, they have stockpiled guys. I mean, they have a lot of prospects, but they all have to work out. At the end of the day, they all have to work out. And we know the odds where a lot of these guys, as much as we want them to, to work out and as much as we are rooting for them to work out, like you and I were with Rutherford, uh, the, the odds are not in their favor. We're also not entirely objective because we both talked to Rutherford for a while and he's a really, really nice kid. So I think that's also playing a factor in here when he was traded. I, I had a face-to-face conversation with him over Skype, so not entirely face-to-face. But I, but I realized that he really did want to be a Yankee. So part of me was a little, little upset because of that. Yeah, I think that goes into it now that we are talking to some of these guys. But at the same time, I think when you're looking at strictly baseball, you know, he's going to be just fine. He's going to get a better opportunity sure. more than likely in Chicago because he'll probably be up a lot sooner. And uh, Tyler Clippard, somehow Cashman pawned Tyler Clippard off on people. It's funny because I saw everyone was fully on board with the trade once they saw Clippard was leaving the Bronx. Yeah, and the other two guys, you have Clippard, that's, that's addition by subtraction like I was saying earlier. I mean, he's been horrendous this year. Then you look at a guy like Ian Clarkin, who was a touted guy a long time ago, but it seems like he's been with the system for a long time. And it seems like he's been in Trenton forever, or Tampa forever, one of the two. Um, but he's been injured and coming back. I don't know. I just got, I got no faith that he's going to come back and be uh, an actual contributor on the major league level. And then uh, Tito Pollo, I, I, don't, I got nothing on him. Nothing. No, good baseball name. That's what I got on him. Is it Pollo? It sounds better. Is it Polo? Tito Polo. It looks like I, I will call him Tito Polo. It's uh, probably Pollo, but there would be there would be P-O-L-L. two L's. That's Polo. There would be two L's. I like. I think Tito Pollo sounds better. <laughs> uh, our boy Ref Snyder DFA'd. This, this was a long time coming. A couple roster yeah. moves to accommodate the trade. Ref Snyder and G Man Choi designated for assignment. They also sent Shreve back down to AAA so they could fit everybody who was coming in onto not only the twenty-five man roster but the forty-man roster. Yeah, there was a uh, that man. You know what? There's, it's it's bittersweet for the Ref Snyder move. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. The the clear move for Rob Ref Snyder was on another team. That were that's where he's going to get an opportunity. I, I do hope that this works out for him and he's able to go somewhere where he can, um, you know, get some get some playing time and actually uh, try to use the skills that he was given rather than you know sent up and down. And we all know what happened in 2015 with Scott Drew or Stephen Drew. That was. Uh, pretty much held him down Scott for Drew. <laughs> the entire time. And uh, it's, it was just a shame what happened to him. So I, I really do. I wish the best for Ref Snyder. Uh, there was no place for him on this team. Unfortunately, it was just a reality. So what it seems like the Yankees are going to be doing with Frazier and Headley is Headley's going to be actually going over to first base. Frazier's coming in. He's going to, he's, they're both been a third baseman, but Girardi said after the game on Wednesday that Frazier will be the everyday third baseman. Headley will be the first baseman. And if you look at splits, Headley actually has much has terrible numbers against lefties. So that's when we'll see Cooper continue to play. So that trade is also uh, some people I saw some some people saying, oh well, then what was, the hell was the point of the Cooper trade last week? He still does have a place on the team for now until something else happens. Well, yeah, and I think also that if if this is the the way that we're moving forward, and it's going to be a platoon at first base with Headley and uh, Garrett Cooper. Garrett Cooper could also silence the critics by playing, you know, as playing well. And it's, it's very obvious what's happening to Chase Headley right now. He just keeps rolling downhill and he keeps rolling into another position. Okay, now he's a platoon first baseman from being the everyday third baseman. So we, the writing's on the wall for Chase Headley. He knows what's, what's, uh, what's next. Next is the door. And if, um, if there's a guy who's younger than him that's outplaying him, he's, gonna, he's not going to get the playing time. So... You know, this is a best case scenario for Headley right now, which is a, you know, going in there and playing against the um, right-handed pitching. So he's a le- he's not a switch hitter anymore, that's for sure. I find it interesting they're accommodating Todd Frazier like this, who, like I've said a number of times already in this episode, he is a rental and he's not having a great season. He has 16 home runs, but he's only batting 207. His seasons since he got traded to the White Sox have been really subpar. I know he had a 40 home runs last year. But I, I feel like home runs now are, are just everywhere. And if you looked at his on-base percentage and all those other numbers, they weren't very good. So it's interesting that they're accommodating Frazier, who is not having much better of a season, if at all better of a season, than Chase Headley. 
I feel like when Chris Carter is a 40 home run guy, you almost have to throw that stat out the window because exactly because you're We've getting seen a what lot the of face of 40 home runs looks like. Yeah, it's and it's blank and its eyes and, are closed and, it, and its eyes are closed. <laughs> but you're getting a lot of you're you're just getting so many other deficiencies when with uh, some of these big home run guys, and uh, you know most of them are coming with. A, you know, ridiculous amount of strikeouts, but I don't know. I, I feel like Frazier's got something to prove. I feel like coming back home could be, I, this is one of those, to me, this is one of those Cashman moves where he's, he's getting a guy that's, that's, uh, you know, low at this point and has something to prove. And obviously he has something to prove it's a contract here. So maybe they're, they're just trying to get the most out of what he can do for the second half of the year. And, you know, he's playing for a contract, whether it's with the Yankees or somebody else, he's playing for a contract. And I think it's more of a testament on what they feel about Headley at this point. I mean, he's, he has no future on this team, so I think that's why they're giving Frazier... I think Frazier has as much of a future on this team as Headley does, personally. Despite the fact that he's under contract for a season, uh, or right. for less than a season. Exactly. Uh, the ironic thing is Headley's actually been hitting since the All-Star break. Yeah, it's true. It's just there's no power, and I, I think that's the thing. What are they... I heard, I think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but four home runs from third base this year. I think that's, if that's not exactly right, it's around there. And, you know, Frazier has 16, so there's, there's, there's definitely a... Uh, there's definitely a factor within the home runs. I mean, the Yankees are clearly looking at the home runs and saying that, you know, there needs to be more production from the, there needs to be more, more power production from the corners. And that's where Frazier is. So Frazier talked about today, like this is his first choice, third baseman. He did say, I'll play wherever the team wants me, but third base is my, is my spot. That's where I want to be. <laughs> he also said, oh, I'll take t- number 29, but I'm going to go talk to Paul O'Neill about number 21. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go talk to Paulie and see what I can do before I go home. Moving to a different Frazier, Clint Frazier, the fact that now we have two Frasers on the team is also... A little annoying. It's a really annoying. annoying. Very yeah. annoying. There's too I, many Tylers on the team, and now there's one too no, many Frasers. There are zero Tylers on the team now, actually. Are there <laughs> no really more zero? Tyler. How yeah, is that possible? Uh, they, they're all one gone. time they had half the team was Tyler. Tyler Wade, gone. Tyler Clippard, gone. Tyler Webb, gone. Tyler Austin, gone. <laughs> that's, <laughs> uh, that's actually amazing. Isn't it? All right. Uh, I actually had to put a T in the <laughs> notes in front of Frazier, which annoyed me. Yeah. Uh, Clint Frazier now wearing number 77, which was awesome when we saw that on Twitter today. He obviously got number 30 given to him when he got called up, but you could tell he was eyeing number 77 or something different. He saw number 99 on the back of Judge and said, oh, I see some marketing opportunities right there. Cha-ching, jersey sales, number 77. The first chance he had, someone was probably like, hey, you know, David Robertson used to wear number 30 for the Yankees. He was like, great. Give me number 77. We have a defensive line now in the outfield. It's, yeah, it's awesome. Got to yeah, get that, someone wearing 88 in center. Hey, it's, it's, it's one of those things. If you look at what's going on with the New York Yankees and all of their retired numbers, everything's low. So this new rebuild of the empire, this new wave of talent coming through, they're going to be like, you know what? It's the millennial way. To, they're going to do something different. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go for the high numbers. Judge going with 99, 77. I like it. I think it's, uh, I think it's unique. I think it's, you know, it's, it's their own number, and uh, I'm embracing it. I think it's cool. Do we think there's this lends a little bit more credence to what Susan Waldman said back in spring training about Frazier asking to unretire Mickey Mantle's number? Honestly, what I think it is is I think it gives credence to the fact that Susan made something up or made, or, or or pushed a little bit more of juice behind a statement that he made yeah. when he was probably joking or mentioned something about looking up to uh, you know a, a guy like Mickey Mantle in the sense not not he looks up to him because he didn't know he never saw him play but you know he saw what Mickey did he knows the icon that Mickey Mantle is so you know do, do I think it's an ode to Mickey Mantle probably I think it's I think it's cool I, I like that again I like that. And he's hitting. He's really starting to play very well. He hits the ball. He's hitting the ball hard. He's, he's made, he made a great play out in left field today. He's, he runs hard. He's actually faster than I thought. Yeah, he is. He's aggressive. He, I mean, I heard you know, when he was interviewed at one point talking about every single time he looks, he hits the ball, he's looking to stretch it into extra bases. So I like that aggressiveness on the base path. Um, and he does have speed. He's got, it's, it's almost, a, it, I feel like he's the beginning of his, of his uh, his steps, like once he gets out of the box, it's a little choppy, and then he and then he kind of opens it up and, and and can really turn it on in the second half. I was reading Ken Rosenthal's Facebook page, which is now where he's writing, and he was theorizing that the Yankees, because they still need starting pitching, might look to trade Batances for some starting pitching. There's a lot of teams out there that would obviously love Batances, and now the fact that they have all those other bullpen arms and Conley, who's 
a younger, controllable bullpen arm that they could actually move on from Batances if they want to. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not. Sh- I don't think it's going to happen. I think what, they have him for what two more years after this. He's still yeah. under arbitration for two more seasons. Yeah, and that's still he's still in his prime. So you you want to try and get every ounce out of Batances, whether that's in a trade or on the field at that point. Yeah, the the problem. I think the Yankees are running into the problem is that the, what what Cashman's realizing is that they have so many prospects that they they're going to need to start to make room. I mean, you can at, at some point. When do you? not start making, not make trades for more prospects. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's, it becomes a numbers game at a certain point because at, at some point they're going to start getting snaked from you because you can't control them on the 40 man roster. So there, I don't know. I, I think the fact that you have Batantis controlled for a very good contract for two more years after this year is a very good thing for what the Yankees are trying to do because they're obviously trying to win even this year, but certainly next year and the year after that. So, I mean, he's going to be a very big part of, of this, uh, of this rebuild and, and moving forward into when they're actually competing for championships. Exactly. And can we also not just automatically say Conley's going to be replacing Dylan Batances? Dylan Batances right. is, I know he struggled, but he's a perennial all-star. So He's a I think people are, and has come through many times for yeah. this team. I mean, he frustrates both of us, and we say it. He frustrates us from time to time. But he's still better than 99% of the rest of the bullpen arms out there in baseball. Yeah. I, have, I feel like I have the same feeling of him that I do uh, towards people saying, let's just get rid of Castro. You know, no problem. <laughs> Easy as that. Let's, let's throw him to the wind and get some kid. Who needs, a, who needs an all-star second baseman? Yeah. No, no not us. Monday in Minnesota was a frustrating loss, 4-2. to two. The game was tied late in the game, and Caleb Smith making his Major League debut was pitching very well after Brian Mitchell did not pitch that great. And Joe just left him out there to die. I don't know what Joe, Joe Girardi was doing. The game was tied, and he was acting like the Yankees were down by 20 runs. I did not understand it. Look, I get that Caleb Smith was a starter at AAA and he's stretched out at this point. But when you have two pretty much lights out innings by him, I mean, he was really good. I, first of all, you and I talked about him like very quietly when, um, when, when we had uh, the Scranton writer on. And he mentioned him kind of in passing as well. It wasn't really like, oh, this guy is, is, is somebody that can be. I, I think I saw his numbers beforehand and I was like, Who the, who's this Caleb Smith guy? And he came up, and he's throwing 98, 100 miles an hour lefty and dropping, dropping dimes on a freaking black. I mean, he looked really, really good. And he rolls out there for the third inning, gets in some trouble. It looks like he's tiring. You know, there's a whole roller coaster emotionally being called up and then being, you know, leaned on for three innings. I just, I couldn't have disagreed more for bringing him back out for that third inning, especially in a tie ball game. Like, this is a game that you can win yeah. in a situation and a time where we need to win games Games and series need to be won now. We can't just mess around and say, okay, we're going to leave him out to save the bullpen. There were guys that were ready to go. I just don't a, understand it. It's a tie ball game. You need one more inning out of your bullpen. It's not, that, it's not too much to ask, even considering the fact that they played 43 innings over the weekend. One more inning out of your bullpen is not too much to ask. I, I, I don't agree with leaving Smith out there in his debut. It made absolutely no sense. Girardi... Sometimes we'll manage like it's the game seven of a World Series. Do you remember that time when he Batances needed work and he brings him yeah. in with two outs in the bottom of the ninth when the Yankees yes. are leading by like five or six runs? He yeah. makes that kind of pitching change, but then won't go in a tie ball game on the road when you need when your guy is in trouble and you're about to lose the first game of a series. It makes no sense. Although I do think Randy Levine called that one in and said, "Okay, this is uh, I need to embarrass Batances right now for all the." The uh, smearing I've had in the paper. So let's inside bring him in right job. Now. <laughs> It was an inside job. That was the that was the bat fun, the bat line that called that one in. <laughs> but no, I agree. I mean, it's a it's it doesn't it doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm looking. I just you look at it and it doesn't make sense. There's no way that's in the binder. I mean, the only thing that's in the binder, I guess, is that um, you know we need to rest everybody on this day. Uh, you know, they, there's too many innings been thrown. This kid probably going to go back to Scranton, even though he's not. Um, is, uh, is it, we're just going to ride, ride or die with this kid. It was unfair. I thought it was unfair to him. It was a bizarro game. Also in that game, Didi's up with uh, first and third and two outs, and he apparently listened to the podcast last because he tried to bunt in that situation. Look, Didi, guys, I can, I can bunt. Look, guys, I can bunt. Didi, no a guy way. who might be our best hitter with runners in scoring position, 
as far as from an average standpoint. He's a cl- he's clutch. If you yeah. need a single with a guy in third base, give me Didi in that situation. I don't want him bunting. No. No, it was a bad look. It was a terrible bunt. <laughs> it was it, it pretty much just sat there ready for the I think it might have even bounced up into the catcher's hands. I mean it was it was perfect. Here, for, here, here, take it. I'm I'm gonna go run, but I'm not gonna run yeah. that fast. Just just yeah. throw me out, please. Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad look, it was a bad decision. Um, everything was not good about that. So it was a it was a terrible terrible end of the game when you after you come back and tie the game and, and you know you're feeling good that you can win and uh, it was just strange. It was just a strange game. There's too many strange games that have happened over the past month. I'm I'm really uh, I'm getting sick of these strange games. I'd like some some clear victories, please. With all these strange games, you wouldn't think the Yankees are still in a wild card spot, but somehow they are. Well, that's that's the reason. I, I, that's the reason I think they're going out there and trying to make some. Some impact, at least to um, to help. But look, you know, this trade. Let, let's not let's not forget that this trade is also helping the future. I think people are looking at what's happening right now, and they're saying the Yankees are, are taking their shot right now for this for this uh, for the playoff run. And yes, while it does help this team now, you know, we're we're looking into the future with this. This trade absolutely does help for the team for the at least the next um, two years. I mean, today, this year, and then next year with with Robertson, and then Conley controlled for a couple more. So this is a, this is a, a move that, that definitely helps the Yankees in the near term and into the future. So I, I like what they did, and uh, you know, I, I think it does help them for sure. Be honest. Were you, uh, once Judge was one for 21, were you getting a little bit nervous? No, I really wasn't. Because there were some hard-hit balls in there. there. Were. I mean, he, there he, had a lot of, he had a few balls hit into the outfield that, that normally are, are hits. And you know, I mean, it's shit, not he like hit he a was ball really in, struggling. He hit a ball into the into the Red Sox uh, bullpen that Jackie yeah, exactly. Bradley Jr. stole. So yeah, people exactly. were overreacting. It's just I I just said it uh, to joke right there, but people were legitimately like, "Oh crap, Aaron Judge was ruined by the home run derby." You could see a couple times though where he was pressing a bit more yeah. and was swinging at balls that he normally didn't look that he that he hadn't swung uh, swung at in the first half. I mean, he was definitely swinging at some of those those breaking balls on the outside. Uh, you know, beyond the outside corner of the plate. So, you know, those are old habits that, that hopefully are, are, are back and he's, had, he's got it in check. But, no, I didn't think he looked bad. I thought he was just, you know, it was a very normal slump. Well, and the beauty of him, though, is that he throws a guy out from deep right field. So he's, he does stuff that isn't just home runs that helps the Yankees win. And he was still getting walked, too. I mean, there were... Yeah, they were, were still times, intentionally walking him. Yeah, so it, it didn't go... Uh, he didn't... He was not a, an unproductive player by any means. Today, Wednesday afternoon, Montgomery looked terrible. Second bad start in a row. Uh, conveniently, after you and I said that he is Rookie of the Year and also in contention for Yankees Cy Young in the first half. Well, that was the first half. That's what we were talking about, and he was. I mean, when we were looking at what the first half was, the guy was exactly that. I mean, he was uh, he was very good. Today, not so much. It's uh, it's the not to say that he was this bad in the beginning, but. You know, when he starts going away from the strike zone, when he starts throwing too many pitches, that's when bad things happen, especially for, for Jordan Montgomery. He's got to control that strike zone. He's got to control, um, you know, his pitch count to a point where he can actually go out there and, uh, and make his pitch at his time. Because when he's falling behind and trying to, you know, get, uh, get me over fastball, he's getting hit. Uh, I thought there was a little bit of juice after that trade. So there was extra optimism in the Yankees. They were trying to win a series, and it, it – was kind of demoralizing what Montgomery went out there. Six runs and what was it, the second inning? He's learned from the best. He learned from Tanaka. Big moments. <laughs> that was a Tanaka performance. Big moments. Let's suck horribly <laughs> right now. This is it. Too much momentum happening. We got to put that to an end. Uh, Four-game series in Seattle. Are you a little bit nervous? Yes, I am. I'm terrified. I really am. I, I really cannot. Anytime they go past, uh, anytime they go into that Western time zone, I get very scared. It's, at least uh, for, my, for my own health and then also for their health. At, at least it's point. a weekend, so we, we don't have to be absolutely dog shit the next day at work. Yeah, and the, uh, the, the pitchers that we're going up against, theoretically, I saw somewhere where there are a bunch of, a bunch of guys with a over four ERA. Granted, one of them is um, – someone was tweeting at you, I think, who I saw this. Uh, one of them is King Felix, but at the same time, this is a team that is, um, is, is not living up to the bill, so hopefully they can go out and take, take advantage of it. Do I expect that to happen? No. We've got more to come on this episode. We're going to be getting into the trade again with Scott Merkin. But before that, I want to remind everybody to call the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. Leave a voicemail. Give us a hot take on the trade. What do you think of the trade? We'll play voicemails 
on the at the end of Monday's show. We also do mailbags on the Monday episode, so submit mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can tweet us at Yankees Podcast. My handle is at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and Scott's is at Scott Reinen. All right, let's get into this interview. Joining us on the podcast now is Scott Merkin. He is a beat reporter for MLB.com for the White Sox. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing well. Busy couple days. I, I was off uh, for the All-Star break and then had the... Uh, the weekend series off and even though i've only worked two days i feel like i've worked about a week straight at this point a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the last couple of days yeah it's hot stove season you know you can't take vacation at this time of year that's true i, I guess i had the right weekend off though because it was kind of aside from a few rumors here and there it was kind of quiet this weekend i come back uh yesterday they trade seven players and today yohan Moncada comes up and plays so there you go Right. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of prospects coming up for the White Sox because they have been in complete rebuild mode. It's interesting that the White Sox uh, have gotten so they've overhauled their entire system over the last year because they had guys like Chris Sale, Quintana, Adam Eaton, Robertson, Frazier and Conley, who the Yankees just traded for. I'm curious, how did it not work for that team? Because that team, I think, even towards the beginning of last season was actually pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because one thing that, you know, I kind of remind people to the chagrin of Sox fans is that, you know, this is a, a rebuild kind of built out of failure. And it's a little different rebuild than even if you go across town and see what the Cubs did, which they had a lot of, you know, bad contracts they were trying to get rid of. But this is a rebuild because they couldn't, you know, find the right mix to win, even with some, some great players, I mean, and great contracts. And I think that combination has made, has sped the rebuild up a little bit. You were right. They're 23 and 10 as of last, as of the 33 game mark last year. I think they got there. Todd Frazier hit like a 12th inning grand slam in Texas to put them up by, to, to put them out 13 up. And I think there were six and a half games ahead. Now granted it was 33 games, but we're not talking like, you know, they had a half game lead and that was it. They were six and a half games ahead at that point. And then by the time they reached the 69 game point, they were 33 and 36. So the problem was that the depth just wasn't there. Once people started getting hurt, once there was problems in the bullpen, there just wasn't, the, you know, nothing against the guys that are coming up, but there just wasn't the quality to kind of sustain it. Now, again, you still think you should be able to be competitive when you have the best pitcher in baseball, probably not named Clayton Kershaw and Chris Sale. You have an all-star in Jose Quintana. You have a great leadoff hitter and a very solid defensive player in Adam Eaton. You're really a good offensive player overall. You, you know, Todd Frazier hitting the home runs and playing solid defense at third. You know, uh, Robertson closing games out, and yet it couldn't happen. So they decided this offseason they had to commit one way or the other. They kind of laid it out what it would cost to contend, and they figured out what it would cost to rebuild. And the goal for Rick Hahn, he's mentioned a few times the the Braves model, you know, the Braves winning 15 straight division titles, and that he wants to be able to sustain success. Kind of, you know, again, I, I know Sox fans don't like being compared to the other side of town, but, you know, they rebuilt and they achieved the ultimate goal. They won the World Series. And that's kind of what the Sox want to do. Now, that's not going to probably happen until that's not going to be legitimate in their minds. That could happen. You can't guarantee anything's going to happen. But, you know, 19 or 20, probably 20 would be the first year you would see this team being a real viable contender. But they're certainly taking steps in the, in the right direction. That's for sure. I think they have, what, 10 of the top. I, I know it's 10 of the top 100. It might even be 10 of the top 68 right now in, uh, in MLBPipeline.com's prospect list. Yeah, it really is. It's funny because you're saying 19 and 20, you know, we talked about that on the on the early, on the first part of our show when talking about Tommy Conley in the sense that this guy is, looks like he's just coming into his own at this point, but the White Sox aren't ready to compete that he won't really get the, the the most bang for your buck with a with a guy like Conley in the next 2-3 years when he's controlled. It's really when that contract's going to come up is when theoretically the White Sox will really start, you know, hopefully hitting that next gear. So, did that make him expendable and and kind of on that on that front with him, um, I think a lot of Yankees fans don't really know much about him. So if you could kind of tell us just more about the guy and 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 uh, and kind of his his you know his scouting reporter, his pitching repertoire, anything that would be helpful. But he's a big Eagles fan, and I mean <laughs> Eagles, Philadelphia. I'm a big Eagles fan, as in the group. But that's 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 where we differ right there. But he's a he he always had stuff that played at the major league level. He has a fastball, you know, in the mid to high 90s consistently. A great changeup. He just could not throw strikes, and that kept him out of kind of the 
elite back end of the bullpen level. And this year he made some adjustments on his delivery, tweaked his mechanics a little bit, and he's just found more consistency. And the numbers speak for themselves. I know it's like what, 61, I think he pitched today, right? So it's 62 strikeouts and six walks this year. It's, it's, it's really crazy how quickly he turned around. I mean, he you know was... I think if he had a little more cachet, probably in the majors, he was he would have been an all-star this year because he was that good in the first half. Now, again, I think you're always taking a chance on on relievers, especially when there's not a huge track record. So the Sox sold high on Tommy Canely. You know, that they definitely thought this was the time to move him. And from what Rick Hahn told us in the press conference after the trade, the, the trade probably doesn't happen without Tommy being part of it. So that's where the thought process was. And, you know, that they've been on Blake Rutherford since he was in that draft class and you know, they, they took him was 2016, right? And he was, they thought about him at number 10 that year, you know, where, where they ended up taking Zach Collins, the catcher. So all the yeah, Rutherford combined, actually kind of fell to the Yankees in that draft. Right, right. I, I, all, all the things combined to make the three-player package the most viable for the White Sox. Again, we kind of said this a number of times, to build up that critical mass of young players to help them win multiple titles. That's kind of the catchphrase on the rebuild. It's a little long. They may have to shorten it a little bit. And that's, I think, why Kane Lee was included in that group. Do you, do you get a sense that the White Sox feel like they won this trade? The, the fact that they're getting a blue-chip prospect, another blue-chip prospect for two bullpen arms and a rental in, in Todd Frazier? You know, I've covered the Sox for the White Sox for 15 years and some change. One year I kind of did a little bit of everything, including covering them for another outlet other than MLB.com. And they've never been a team that was real worried about winning the trade. They like making good baseball trades. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, they traded Jose Quintana across town to the Cubs. And in, in return, they got Eloy Jimenez, who, you know, has star written all over him, at least at this level of his career. And Dylan Cease, who could be a, a solid, you know, middle of the rotation type starter. And, you know, the Cubs are 6-0 since they traded Quintana over there. So early returns, although we don't know what the minor league guys are going <laughs> to you know, come up as is it's a good trade for both sides. And I think that's what they're worried about. They're, they're not really worried about being able to laud over another team and say, Hey, we got the best of that. You know, they just want to make sure that they get what they need. They get what they're focused on and whatever they have to trade. Then they'll do it. You know, I think it's a little like a Mike Rizzo at the winter meetings. I remember the Washington general manager was kind of getting some flack that he gave up too much for Adam Eaton. He said, well, he felt like he was trading from position to strength with what he moved and got the player he needed. So in that case, you can't argue with any any side of the position one way or the other. Um, so so moving on to Todd Frazier, uh, he's a guy that was extremely popular after he won that home run derby in Cincinnati. Then he comes to the White Sox, and it just seems like he did hit a lot of home runs, but he started striking out a lot more. What has his season and a half been like for the White Sox? Well, a great clubhouse guy, first of all. That can't be said enough. He'll he'll fit in perfectly in New York, and I think he's very happy to be going home. You know, he is a he is a New Jersey guy, born and bred, and he's probably just behind Bruce Springsteen and Tony Soprano in terms of famous. I, I'm sure people in New Jersey are going to hate me for that, but I don't really know that many famous people from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but I, I don't think he's number three. Yeah, but, I'm not sure okay. if he's on the Mount Rushmore of uh, of Jersey guys. But. All right, well, add in a few more Jersey guys. I just don't know. I, I know Springsteen, and I watch The Sopranos faithfully, so that would be, that'd be about it. Go. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but he, he's a great clubhouse guy. He was very good with the younger players here, so I know the Yankees have some you know, young guys they've infused into that or into that team and the organization. So he's going to be a, a great help there. But one thing I noticed about Todd and it came since kind of early May is he's really seeing the ball. Well, if you notice his walk numbers are way up compared to years past and he's still got that power component there. He struggled with the Sox in both these years with runners in scoring position. So that'll be something to watch, but he's also battled a lot of nagging injuries. He came to Sox fast at the end of January where he had something wrong with his finger. And then he battled the back thing and then he had an oblique strain in spring training. He had this horrible case of the flu where he lost like 10 pounds in one week. So it's not been a real healthy year for Frazier, whereas he was perfectly healthy last year, and players sometimes navigate that and kind of get through it. And I think you're going to see the best from him now that he's back with a contending team and you know close to home and getting this opportunity. And remember, he is a free agent at the end of the year, so it is meaningful to him. I don't think he bases his – he too, has too much pride to make that his driving force, but it certainly is a contributing factor in the whole equation. It seems like Cashman has gone out there and tried to get a guy that was, you know, maybe not at the at the peak of his career, at the peak of his ability, and had a lot more left. 
Uh, and I think I think you're right. I think you speak to something when you're talking about him coming home and, you know, having that pride and coming home and, and producing for the home crowd. And, and I think that's uh, that's definitely a factor. I think when he when you look at what he's doing, he, he did something very interesting today in one of his uh, one of his first interviews talking about third base out. That was his preference because now Chase Headley is going to be moved over to first base uh, and potentially in a platoon mode. But one thing that he made a comment about that I definitely think Yankee fans will raise their hands about and, and just a little bit up in arms, but he is, uh, he's a guy who looked up to Paul O'Neill when he was a kid and he's planning on yeah, talking yeah. to Paul O'Neill for that number 21 when they go back home. So that was something interesting. Is he a guy that tries to go out and uh, I don't know, just joke around about these type of things or is uh, he just, he, he, he says what's on his mind. Yeah, he says what's on his mind, but he has fun too. And I think everyone remembers the, I don't know if it's iconic, but the baseball iconic picture of him standing next to Derek Jeter, right? When he yeah, won it's the become iconic Middle in the last World 24 Series. hours. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean, I guess in terms of baseball and in terms of a guy growing up to hit, you know, 200 home runs and, and uh, I didn't realize he was that much different age-wise than Jeter, to be honest with you, that he could be a little leaguer standing next to Jeter on the field there. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, he likes to have fun, but he's very serious about the game. And he's, he's – I, I thought, personally, he would have been a good guy to carry through a couple of years of the rebuild and see what you had. But they also have Matt Davidson behind him at third base, who's hit you know 19 home runs this year. So they have some options, and they didn't. They decided they weren't going to bring him back through free agency, or even try to bring him back. It looks like through free agency, so they got what they could. But yeah, he's he's talked about his high respect for Paul Neal. He's talked a number of times about you know standing next to Derek Jeter on the field at Yankee Stadium. I think he was sick. I think he was going through the flu when they were at Yankee Stadium, which was late April, I want to say. So I don't know if he got to play in those years. I don't remember off the top of my head, but. Like I said, all three guys are going to be a good fit, and everyone knows about David Robertson because he was there for seven years. So, it's, it's a, again, it's one of those things that's going to be a good trade, I think, on both sides. So uh, David Robertson was nicknamed Houdini when he was playing for the Yankees because he would <laughs> get himself into trouble and then find his way out of trouble. Was that still what he was like with the White Sox? Yeah, for the most part, I, you know, he was not happy with himself last year. He had a couple – I think it's it's like all closers that when you – blow saves they kind of stick with you more than I think he retired at 1.27 straight batters last year over a number of games so he was good he was I, I everyone talked about how he built his value a lot of people talk about how he built his value back up this year but I, I thought he was good with as just as part of the White Sox overall you know I thought the, the couple of years he was here it's almost three years he was here he was he did a nice job closing the game there, there wasn't he wasn't on a you know panic contending team any of the time that he was here much of the to the dismay of the White Sox and the organization, but he did a good job and he was also a great fit in the community, great fit in the organization, very active. But yeah, I, I think we saw some of the Houdini moves, but probably more so in New York than here. But he, but like I said, he, he, he will be able to, you know, work the eighth, work the seventh, depending on what they do there, whether they go him or Batanzas. And, you know, when Chapman needs a rest, they know they have a, a great closer and David Robertson to step right in. You kind of, before we let you go, I kind of want to go back to that Quintana trade with the Cubs. And you mentioned that the White sure. Sox had no problems trading them to their uh, in-town rival. And I know Scott right. and I on this podcast talked about we could not imagine the Yankees trading somebody like that to the Mets. So what's the dynamic? Because I, I always, is it, so it's clearly not like a, a Yankees-Mets rivalry in that town. Although I do have a White, uh, a buddy who's a White Sox fan who absolutely despises the Cubs, even more so now that they finally won the World Series. So I was pretty shocked by that. Were, were people shocked when, when that trade went down? Oh yeah, and the dynamic is every bit Yankees-Mets in this town. It's not like uh, Cubs fans and Sox fans sit together and break bread and when they leave, they say, they probably do break bread right now, but they don't say like, hey, good luck to you guys. We hope you guys win. <laughs> we can't then you guys should, you know, there's none of that. Trust me. And even though and I know Midwest? for a fact that even though it's Midwest, it, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, you know, maybe there's some underlying respect. I'm sure the Sox fans, even though they won't say it, had a little respect for what the Cubs did last year. And I know the Cubs fans had a great deal of respect for what the White Sox did in 05. And they're probably looking at what the Sox are doing and saying right now and saying, all right, they're, they're on a good path on their rebuild too. But I know there were some Sox fans who complained the fact that, you know, I, because there were rumors that the Brewers had stepped up and were interested in Quintana, and that would have been the best thing in the world for Sox fans because they would have gotten a nice talent package back, and Quintana would have gone to the team that was, you know, leading the Cubs at the Central. So I think that's what they would have liked. I know there were some who complained and felt that they should have, uh, and felt that 
no pictures and felt that they should have uh that they should have uh gone somewhere else but hey they got a great deal in, in return and, and kudos to rick Hahn, kudos to theo epstein and jed hoyer and kenny williams and jerry reinsdorf and the ricketts family that's about as far down I, I can list i think on both teams for recognizing <laughs> that it was a good deal for both sides and it made a lot of sense now Again, I'm sure Sox fans are, you know, maybe cringing a little that the Cubs, who did not look good going into the All-Star break, are six and zero since they made that trade. Whether that was just them getting themselves together at the break, or whether that was kind of a vote of confidence when they bring a guy in like that and give up the prospects they did, we'll see as the season plays out. But again, I would side. I think there's some people who are a little angry, but I would side much more, probably like ninety to ten on people just happy that it was a good baseball trade. It's just ammunition yes. now for the White Sox fans to say that, hey, we, we put you guys over the edge to help you win that other title. So now they have some uh, some ammunition for, for talking a little smack on the on the back end. Yeah, Rick Hahn is so good that he's fixing two teams at the, at the same exactly. time. Exactly. He, he, <laughs> he, he's rebuilding the Sox, and he sent the guy over to, to reignite the Cubs toward another World Series title. you got to update his Wikipedia page for that. Well, there you well go. Scott Markin, right. we appreciate you coming on. Like you said, we know you're busy, so thanks a lot. Oh, no problem. Anytime, guys. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.